Good morning. Great to see everybody. Um, so if I'm being 100% honest, I, I never thought that I would have the opportunity to do this again. Um, and so this is really special time for me. And so just, just anytime we can talk through God's word and, and to preach. You see, about two years ago, um, me and my wife were in a very interesting place. It was a very defining moment for me and my family. Um, so if you rewound back to January of 16, not only did we not know where we would be living, but I did not know what I would be doing. See, for the, for the, the previous seven years, I was in full-time ministry. I spent six years over in Charlotte, four years at a church plant, which means that you do everything. This was a church plant. If you're on staff at a church plant, guess what? <laughs> you, there are no roles. It's everything. Um, during that time, I also went to Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary. I received a Master of Divinity. After my time in Charlotte, I went to Michigan for uh, three years where I served as the pastor of small groups and connections at Ward Church, part of the EPC up there. You know, so I did a lot of uh, prepping small group curriculum, a lot of teaching, developing teams, assimilation, and I would preach some. And then if you rewind just a little bit more, in October of 2015, I took the really bad job. Do any of you have the experience with the really bad job? Seriously, come on. Okay, some people, fantastic. You know what I'm talking about. So long story short is if you asked me at the end of seminary in 2012 what I would be doing, I had a very simple answer. I'll be working at church, being a pastor. If you asked me why I would be doing that, again, a simple answer, to make disciples who make disciples. Simple enough. And then this really bad job happened. And suddenly, like a ton of brick, my what, being a pastor, became foggy. So initially, my goal, once we realized that this was not the place we were going to be, was to find the what, find the next place. So I immediately jump online, because we had went from Michigan to Illinois. Me and Christine had been married for five months. Don't do that if you're getting married soon. Don't do it. We moved from Michigan to Illinois, Illinois to North Carolina in eight months. Don't do that, okay? Just a word of advice. But I'm sitting there, and we, we have to figure out what is next, and I'm looking for my what. So I'm sending out resumes to all these churches that have openings all over the world just looking for the place to accomplish the what. Well, one of these places was in Houston, Texas. Found a church down there and had an interview, phone interview with them, and I hung up and went, hey, found it, got the what. We can, we can pack, we, can, we know where we're going. And Christine looked at me, and I'll never forget this, and she said, do you want to live in Houston? Because I don't. <laughs> okay. And that was at a point when I had to begin to let the what go. So between guidance and counseling and friends and everything like that, we decided instead of moving for the sake of what, we were going to move to the where and the who. And that's how we got to Asheville. 
Now, we came to Asheville, and when I got to Asheville, guess what I started doing? Searching for the what. So I started sending my resume out to any church that had an offering, a position, and every church that didn't. Didn't care, just wanted to be the pastor, needed to be in the church. Well, at the same time, I got to the point where it was pretty important for me to make an income. So I started sending my resume out to a couple other things and started to look. And I had this very defining conversation with one of my best friends, who happens to also be a pastor. And in this conversation, we were talking through these different options that I had. And he said, Dustin, do you have to work in a church to be a pastor? No. He said, all right, take a step further. Do you have to be paid by a church? To be a pastor? Well, no, of course not. And said, all right, well, is there a chance that you may be more effective at your why, making disciples who make disciples outside the church as opposed to inside the church? I actually said, yeah, you know, that's true. And not hearing what I was saying, he goes, so what's the issue? And now I'm a financial advisor with Edward Jones. So I've preached this message before. And when Fred asked if I could preach, I I was just honored to be able to do so and excited about the opportunity. Instead of working on something new, I decided to come back to this message, not because it's one of my best, but because of what we can learn about welcoming and inviting in our community. You see, when I first wrote this and first preached this, my lens was pastor. Now my lens is professional. And the majority of us here do not wear the pastor lens. We're professionals. We have different things, different what's. So this morning, we're going to take a look at Matthew. So if you have your Bible, let's turn to Matthew chapter 9, 9 through 13. There's also a pew Bible, and that's on page 673. And if you do not have a Bible, take that one with you. It is yours. And we're going to dig into this, and we're going to look at what we can learn about welcoming and inviting. Because I know that's where life change begins. Not only for those who are outside of the church, but also for those who are inside the church. Let's look at Matthew 9. Before we do, let me pray. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you speak to us. God, would you fill this space right now and would you speak through me? Anything I say that's not of you, let it drift away and be forgotten. And anything I say that is of you, would it sink into our hearts? And would you guide us this morning and let us learn about you in your name? Matthew 9. 9 through 13 says this. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting in a tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as Jesus reclined at the table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he said, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy 
and not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. So what we're going to do is we're actually going to take a look at three different interactions that Jesus has in this text. And how they relate to inviting and welcoming in our lives today at our different what's. Because here's what I mean. Some of you, like myself, are professionals. We work in the community. We have professional work. Some of you are like my wife who works out of the home. Some of you are students. Some of you work here at the church. We have these different what's. So what can we learn from this? So let's dig in a little bit. But first, let's get some background. All right? So leading up to this interaction with Matthew, Jesus has just illustrated his lordship throughout chapter 8. All right, we see him calming the storms, we see him healing many, we see him casting out demons, everything associated with the lordship of Christ. And because of these things, people in the region were beginning to hear about this Jesus guy. He was becoming known. Now, verse 1 says, getting into a boat, he, that's Jesus, crossed over and came to his own city, his own city. And this city was a small fishing village of Capernaum, and this served as Jesus' home base for his public ministry. Now, this was a small city located on the Sea of Galilee, and at the time, Capernaum had a population of about 1,500, and Matthew was a tax collector in the city. What this means is that everyone knew who Matthew was because he worked for the Roman government, which in that day was in essence being a traitor to the Jewish way of life, working as a tax collector for the Roman government. Not to mention that you would actually go to Matthew and pay him. All right, He was known. He was also despised. He was a public figure. So let's paint this a little bit more. We live, work, and play in worlds that are probably smaller than 1,500 people. We have about 600 families that come to fellowship. So let's pretend right now that fellowship is a small village. All right. Now imagine that someone's job here at, in fellowship at our small village annoys you. Imagine that someone's job here is to take your money. Imagine someone's job here is to trap you and your family between a rock and a hard place. All right, imagine this person works for the city of Asheville, and their role here is that they are a parking patrol person. Who's been to Boone? Now, their job every Sunday in our village is to place boots on our car while we're here worshiping. And this, requi this person requires $50 cash to take it off. I don't carry cash. So they're mandated by the city of Asheville each Sunday to put 20 boots on 20 of our cars each and every week. My guess is we would all know who that person is. My guess is we probably would be on the lookout for them. We would all know the Matthew guy. Now, I love that the first recorded interaction that we have between Jesus and Matthew is follow me. See, Jesus knew who Matthew was. It's his own city. 
He knew he was a tax collector, that he was despised because of his work. But Jesus also knew that he was ready to come follow him. And Matthew, likewise, knew who Jesus was. He knew he'd been working miracles. He'd been hearing about this, and he was primed for this invitation of follow me. Because my, you know, my initial thought when it came to welcoming, I thought about, okay, what's it mean to welcome? Well, my initial thought was, hey, I open the door, I let people in, and I welcome them, right? That was my initial thought that, you know, open the door, let people in, invite, you know, that sort of stuff, and we welcome but as I read this passage, I was hit by the fact that in order to welcome, there has to be invitation. Welcoming begins with invitation. Welcoming begins with invitation. Matthew was ready for an invitation, and he was invited by Jesus. So my question is, is there someone in your life right now ready for an invitation. Maybe a client. Maybe a coworker. Maybe the family across the street. Maybe that student sitting in class with you. Maybe that guy who everyone else avoids. I bet that everyone here could think about that Matthew guy in your life who's ready for that invitation of follow me. So what does this follow me? What's that sound like today? I don't think I've ever walked up to somebody and been like, hey, follow me. Maybe I'll try it this week. But I think that can sound a lot like, hey, want to grab lunch? Hey, how about we get the families together and we do a cookout? Hey, I'm going to this summer get-together. How about you come along? Hey, we got this thing called Serve Asheville I'm doing. How about you come along with me? I'd love to have you. Different versions of follow me. I truly believe that one of the best ways that we can welcome today is with our own version of follow me. So that's interaction one. Interaction two is actually Jesus and the guests. So after saying follow me, the passage continues and we see the second interaction. Verse 10 says, And Jesus reclined at the table in the house. Behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. Now, as we look at the other synoptic gospels, and synoptic means seeing together, so that's Matthew, Mark, and Luke. John kind of did his own thing. We can dig into a little bit more to what's going on and get a little bit more context. So Mark 2.15 shows us that those who were reclining with him were tax collectors and sinners who had also followed him. So they've came a long with. And then Luke 5.29 gives us even more insight. Verse 29 says that Levi, that's Matthew, made a great feast at his house. It was Matthew's house where this meal was taking place. So there are two important things that I think we need to understand for better context. First is, who are the sinners? And what does reclining at a table mean? So first, who are the sinners? Well, this group was not a group because of what they had done, meaning they, you know, public sin, wrongdoing, breaking the law. They were a group because of what they had not done. See, the sinners were common people. 
who did not observe the scribal rules and rituals of tithing and purity. They were the non-church people, the non-religious types. They were the people that we refer to today as unchurched, non-Christian, the majority of Asheville. And second, there's significance in this language of reclining. Now, this word is used 23 times. And each time it is used, it's within this context. People gather together, eating, connecting. There is extended interpersonal relationship that is happening. And to share a meal with someone in the ancient world was a clear sign of identification with, I'm with them they're with me. Kind of like how we see a sports team after a big win at a restaurant. That kind, of, that kind of picture. Now, when I was working in a church, I had a lot of different conversations with colleagues about what church should look like. You know, it's kind of a natural conversation. And one of those conversations was with Dan. And Dan's up in Michigan, one of my good buddies. And we were on staff together. And one time I asked Dan, um, Dan, if you could form a church from scratch... What would that look like? Dan thought about it for about two seconds and said, people together eating a meal. Tell me more about that. Why is that? And Dan said, and I love this, he said, because at a meal, life happens. At a meal, you get to know who you are with. At a meal, it's hard to hide. It's personal. It's relationship. So what does this have to do with welcoming? Well, I searched through the Bible looking for an instance where Jesus welcomes someone into his home, and it's not there. I couldn't find it, maybe because he's homeless, but still. I could not find it. But over and over and over again, I saw times where Jesus was invited by someone else, like Zacchaeus in Luke 19, like the woman in the well in John 4. Over and over, Jesus is welcomed. I had this thought What was it about Jesus that made him someone others wanted to welcome? What is it about Jesus that made him someone others wanted to welcome? It's an interesting question, isn't it? Because every church I've ever been a part of, we talk about welcoming well. We talk about it every Sunday here at fellowship, at a greeter team meeting. But there's something that shifts when I think about, am I someone that someone else would want to welcome? There's a shift there. There's a flip there that changes the context. You see, Jesus broke away from the cultural norms and the common culture of the church. He was not worried about what the people had done or not done. And he certainly wasn't worried about what the church thought. It's interesting because I really believe that if we looked at it and could see this meal, just imagine them sitting there, that we would see a Jesus that people could laugh with. We see Jesus as this place where we wouldn't have to hide. We'd see Jesus as the shoulder to cry on. We'd see Jesus as a place where we could just breathe. You know why? Because Jesus was the gospel. 
So my question for those who, you know, we say, hey, we love Jesus. Are, are we welcomed the way Jesus was welcomed? Are you welcomed the way Jesus is welcomed? Think on that this week. It's a challenging one. I got to think about it. Now, our story continues into verse 11, and we're going to see this third interaction between Jesus and the Pharisees. Verse 11, we'll start there. And, then, and when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. See, this third interaction that we see between Jesus and the Pharisees sets a whole other context for us. Now, the Pharisees were the religious people of the town. Uh, they were a group of laymen popular with the common people and connected to the local synagogue. They were the church people. They were the church people that went to church on Sunday and Wednesday. They were in a Bible study and a small group and an accountability group. They also tied 20%. And this group of people were very proud of who they were. And all those things are not bad, but the problem was that they isolated themselves while judging everyone else who was not like them. And they're watching Jesus interact with these tax collectors and these sinners. And in their mind, for a teacher... To engage with these types of people like this, this was scandalous. To even be in the house of an unclean tax collector, a treasonous person, was completely wrong. And they're thinking, how could he do this? How could he eat with them? Jesus hears what they say and he brilliantly responds with those who are well have no need of physician, but those who are sick, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Now this is really good news for us. Because you may be here this morning, and you may be thinking that you're unworthy. When you look in the mirror in the morning, you may not like what you see. You may feel shame. You may feel hurt. You may feel lost. You may feel exhausted. And as you look around in your life, you actually, you know, play the comparison game, but you see these others that seem to have it all together. Some students may see the kid that gets straight A's and you get an alphabet. You may look at that marriage and that relationship and you think man that's so perfect why is mine so broken you see the parents that are raising their kids and it seems like this wonderful world and you feel like you're raising a train wreck some of you are on the second stage of life maybe looking back and feeling like did I accomplish anything have I done anything where did the time go and Jesus says, follow me. 
You see, this great exchange that he sets forth is that those who thought they were worthy to be welcomed were not the ones that Jesus was welcoming, nor were they welcomed by anybody else outside of their group. But it's those who think they have no shot that Jesus invites, welcomes, and wants. What's in your life right now that makes you feel undeserving, unloved, unwelcome? Because I'll tell you what, Jesus wants it. Jesus wants you. He wants a relationship. And he is saying, follow me. What are the things that you look at in your life and you're like, there's no way he wants this. There's no way. I know what I did last night. There's no way he wants this. And I tell you, friends, he wants it. He wants you. And he's saying, follow me. Follow me. And all we have to do is say yes. See, this line that Jesus says that I desire mercy and not sacrifice, this is a quote from the Old Testament book of Hosea which is a story about Hosea's continuous pursuit of an unfaithful wife. And it's this phenomenal illustration of how God continuously, recklessly pursues us. Because Jesus came not to call the righteous, but to call those in need of a physician. And this is the heartbeat of welcoming. It's the gospel. In church, we get to be the gospel. We get to be the gospel in our work. We get to be the gospel in our play. We get to be the gospel in our life. We get to be the gospel in our different what's. We get to be the gospel here in Asheville. We get to be the gospel here at Fellowship. Life change begins with relationship, and relationship begins with invitation, and it's followed by welcoming. Now, when I started off at Edward Jones, I was told a couple things about the job. The first one was, they said, hey, we want you to go out, meet as many people as you can, and figure out how to take care of them. It's like, in my mind, I said, great, so I just need to be a pastor. I can do that. And so the way I started this and the way I started my business is actually going door knocking, door to door, all over Asheville. And so that was fun, um, challenging. Um, it was August. It was over 100 degrees, so it was really brutal. But one of these doors I knocked on, this guy answered and had a good conversation, but turned out that we were about the same age. Also turned out that we had both gone to Appalachian State. Turns out that they had just had their first child and we were expecting ours. And so I got his number and a couple months later knew I was going to give him a call. So that fall I reached out and I got to go back because me and Christine were in a really tough place. That really bad job did a number on us. So we had been in the process of visiting some different churches. We were trying to do it. We took a lot of time off because it was, it was a very tough time so I called this guy up and we ended up getting coffee we went over to City Bakery one morning fall of 2017 16 something like that and said you know um, let's meet so we got together and I really only remember two things about the conversation 
First was that he was not going to become a client. (laughs) But second was, he told me about his church and said, man, you guys need to come. You know, we had a good little conversation, talked about our story a little bit. I said, all right. So I went home that weekend, talked to Christine, said, you know, I got, you know, God, this guy invited me to church. And so about a week later, we decided, okay, well, let's go. So we went. And we were really skeptical. So we'd just been through a number with all kinds of stuff. And when we left that first Sunday, um, we, we got in the car and we both said the exact same thing. We said, man, we felt really welcome there. But we were welcomed with a genuineness that we had literally not experienced in over a year. So we decided to go back. We went back a couple of times. And it was literally a couple of times, and then we had Rose. So a new baby in the picture, that changes everything. And we had been to this church just a few times, and all of a sudden we got an email and a phone call, and the church put together a meal train for us. So for two weeks, we had meals coming so that we could sit, recline, and eat. If you fast forward 18 months, I'm able to stand here today and say, Hey, Cam, thanks for the invite. Fellowship, thanks for welcoming us with meals. You helped me fall back in love with the church. And God, thank you for not changing my why but redirecting my what. Let me pray.